0: It felt like a film trick when later in the night about 150,000 of us were tuned on to DJ Switch's Instagram Live to witness the horror. Innocent lives lost to the hands of the military who had sworn to protect us. I was beyond shattered. All the work we had put in through the month felt like a waste at that point. We thought the fight was against normal men but it was actually against monsters.
1: It's been a little over a month since the 20th of October 2020. And there are so many questions still left unanswered, the biggest of which are the wise and the house. Like why did this happen? And how did we get here? And why hasn't anything been done about it? And how can we change that? This podcast episode was first supposed to be a mental health check-in for everybody out there in this giant bowl of rubbish soup called The Nation. But as I listened to the entries that came in, I realised more and more that people just want the story to be told and so it will be hello and welcome to the average podcast usually i would say it's a podcast about embracing our uniqueness but today it is back to basics telling average stories however sad gory weird or unexciting they may seem
2: to be honest i don't really know for sure if I'm hopeful about Nigeria I was kind of indifferent actually I'm like if it doesn't work out I can always jump so there's a solution to every problem
1: a problem that is exactly what Nigeria had been up until the time of the protests one problem after the other one hurdle after the other that we have had to climb as a nation in this episode you will be hearing the voices of three other people Kuride, Ain and Timi, and we will be trying to make sense of all that has happened and its impact on us as young Nigerians existing in Nigeria, or in Ain's case, young Nigerian in diaspora. SARS, the Special anti robbery Squad, was a unit set up in 1992 to deal with crimes associated with robbery, motor vehicle theft, kidnapping, cattle rustling, and firearms. In recent times, however, SARS has begun to become synonymous with abuse of power and causing physical harm to innocent Nigerians. In October 2020, the hashtag EndSARS, the trending on Twitter as an immediate response to a viral video showing a SARS officer shooting a young motorist in Ugeli, pushing the body out of his car and driving off with the dead man's car. Before this incident, I hadn't really known much about SARS. I knew that they existed, and I knew that they were a menace, but then so did almost every other Nigerian. A quick search on almost any social media platform would show you that so many nigerians have had a bad experiences with this unit ranging from extortion to being beaten to in some cases being molested and a lot of nigerians have had it or had had it up to the next with all the oppression and so even though i was surprised that this protest started i was happy because finally, Nigerians have found something worth fighting for. The first protest started on the 7th of October 2020. It was a Wednesday, but it was not a Wednesday like every other Wednesday. It was a day where The youth of Nigeria decided that they had had enough and they took to the streets to protest. It was very largely attended or hugely attended. In fact, it was better attended than most people thought it would be. And in addition to the Twitter protests and the protests on various social media, these protests began to gain attention both in Nigeria and outside of Nigeria. When I first heard about the NTSA protests, I was in the U.S. Did I enter any protests? No, there was there was one,
2: part, there were two. When I wasn't aware. The second, I was, but I didn't have anyone to go with me um, because my friend is, like, scared, has anxiety around crowds and it's so not something so I want to go alone on. The train is very dangerous and, like, it was in the evening when and it gets dark very
1: quickly, so I didn't have anyone to go with. Although Ayn was unable to attend any protests physically, she did spend a lot of time campaigning online and telling people about what was going on from her particular sphere of influence. And that was what a lot of young Nigerians who were unable to attend protests did. Even though she was not in the country, she did do her best to raise awareness around surrounding the issue and let other people know what was going on. the same thing was what Timmy
2: did as well. When the protest started, I was at home because school hadn't opened yet and there was lockdown here. I didn't attend any physical protest, but I was a very aggressive online protester. I spent time, a lot of time, I was most of the time of the day, I was always on Twitter, retweeting, retweeting, and tweeting, I was a very aggressive protester. I didn't go for any physical one. But I did online a lot of online protests. However, in the contrast to these first two
1: experiences that have been shared, Corey Day was able to attend physical protests. He did not start attending these protests at the beginning of the protesting, but he did join in as the protests progressed.
0: Um, I first heard about the protests on Twitter, and later I realized that they attempted to one in Abuja, on friday the 9th of october my brother who was one of the early protesters came home to you know tell us how the police dispersed them in less than five minutes charging at them with tear gas and the now famous water tanks so i went off for my first protest on sunday the day that the allegedly ended SARS. i decided to join forces with people on the streets to celebrate our said victory and you know probably hear a live broadcast from the ig of police everything went south though because we still made the police barricade and they didn't allow us come close to the force headquarters before spraying us with their weary canisters and throwing tear gas at us again they chased people more than three kilometers away from the hq as i was running for my life and subsequently jumping into a stranger's car i knew for sure that i was going to go back and i wasn't going anywhere
1: I think the most puzzling thing for the Nigerian government during this time was the resilience of their people. They had not experienced this kind of resilience in a while, especially from a demographic of people that have been so put down by the government and by society at large people were standing up to say enough is enough and people were willing to put their money where their mouth was people sent in money people protested online we protested physically people showed up every single day people showed up every single time people got tired there was a fresh batch of people to take over and this was so puzzling to the Nigerian government. You know, for me, this was the most hopeful I have ever felt about Nigeria, especially during the early times of the protests. I felt like actually something great could come out of our nation.
2: It got to a point I started boasting to everybody around me, like, yes, they are listening to us. It's going to work out in the end, you know, for the fact that the whole world Was seeing us, they were hearing us. The fact that my favorite musicians were posting on their Instagram page, "Endsars stand with Nigeria, pray for Nigeria." I was so excited. I was full of hope. Like, yes, this is actually going to work out. At least the youth are doing something, and it's going to turn out well for us at the end of the day.
1: I guess our hope was a bit too hasty, because knowing Nigeria, it always finds a way to crush your dreams and your aspirations. We thought we were finally making headway, but in truth, we were just setting ourselves up for a grand disappointment. It would be an understatement to call what happened on the 20th of October, 2020 a grand disappointment it was more of a knife to the chests of the collective youth of nigeria a heartbreak a shattering when i first started recording this episode It was a month after the end of the protests, as can be heard in the intro, and this was supposed to be the point where I told the story of the 20th of October 2020. But for some reason, I couldn't bring myself to put that day into words. Maybe I felt that no matter what I said, I would not be able to adequately express the collective horror, fear, and pain caused by that day. So this episode got stuck. And it was stuck for a while, until I even began to question the need for it all. However, going back into recording today, even though I still cannot adequately express the horror of that day, I can tell you how I felt. Broken. I felt broken. I cried so many tears. Tears for the people who died. Tears for the ones who witnessed it. Tears for a nation that chose death and chaos over governmental reforms. That day left an indelible scar on my heart. And I thought it would leave a mark on our government too, but boy was I wrong. In the days following the 20th, there was rage. So much rage on the internet, stories kept pouring out from different places about the day and the more we read, the angrier we got. This feeling did not last long though because it slowly began to fade, slowly but surely, from rage to anger to sadness until our pain was no longer at the fore of our mind but locked away in a box triggered by once in a while stories about the PTSD that they that had left us with. There were moments that made us laugh too, not raucous, hurty laughs born out of truly Wholesome moments, but ironic laughter is like Nigerians are prone to do You see our country has built a people that laugh at their pain because what else is there to do? So we laughed We laughed when bad boy Buhari released a statement effectively telling us if you do anyhow you go see anyhow We laughed when detective Fashola did some Sherlock Holmes like sleuthing and found a quote-unquote hidden camera at the toll gate. We laughed because we are Nigerians and if we don't laugh then we are forced to deal with the reality of the situation and face our pain head on. Months after the protests there have been a series of events that have shown us just how little the Nigerian government actually cares about her people. In February, we got news about a ban on cryptocurrency trading in the country. This is very important to note because during the protests after bank accounts were blocked, you know, the bank accounts of the major sponsors were blocked. People began to send in money via Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, effectively circumventing the government's plan to end the protests by cutting off our funding. 2 plus 2 is equal to our government is a big pile of doo-doo and we know that this was on purpose and not for any of the other silly reasons they gave. We know that our government did this in retaliation to what we did at the protests. We are not deluded, but we are resilient people and we will and already are beginning to find our way against and around this tiny hurdle placed in our way by Diogaz at the top. Another big example is this. In the heat of some of the moments following the protests, a a panel was formed. Supposedly to inquire into the events of that day and bring about some vague resolution. I do not think they made any headway though, because last month we got news that the tollgate was to be reopened. Without any concrete conclusion on the events of the 20th or any semblance of justice being served. I don't suppose that anyone is surprised about this though. Another thing that is unsurprising is that the Nigerian youth were angry about the decision to reopen the tollgate. We all know that someone makes a whole lot of money from the toll gate and its continuous closure was eating into some major revenue. So of course they were antsy, And so the Nigerian youth, in retaliation to this incredibly terrible move, decided that it was time for another protest. This protest scared me. When I first saw it trending on Twitter. I thought oh no this can't be happening again not because I have anything against our fundamental rights of expression you know but because our government had already shown us firsthand what they could do if we crossed them I did not want another 20th I prayed tentative prayers for the people who went and I hoped That they would return and while there was no death the amount of military manpower that was deployed to the toll gate was incredible in fact if we had that kind of manpower for the insurgency in the north there would be no insurgency innocent civilians were chased beaten and remanded in police custody in fact, the only saving grace for some of the protesters that day was the presence of some public figures. People who, if they suddenly disappeared off the face of the earth, we would notice. So they couldn't disappear citizens. People were accounted for. And we're thankful for that. The bottom line is, we're on our own in this nation survival here is between a person and their God our government has repeatedly shown us that our voices don't mean much and this this pain this suffering the PTSD this scars on the hearts of the Nigerian youth are just going to remain We hope for a Nigeria where somehow, someday, it would be better. Where if the citizens of the country speak out, they would be heard. But we are not there yet. And you know, I have no hopeful way to end this episode. I do not. But it is necessary. It is a story that has to be told. And maybe there are people who will tell it better maybe there are people who already have told it better but I have to say that this is necessary and multiple retellings of the story will not be redundant because we cannot forget we must not allow ourselves to forget this is necessary I have less serious and less intense podcast episodes. In fact, this is the most serious thing I've ever done. So if you want, you can check them out. Or if you just want to sit with your emotions after this, that's okay too. Thank you for listening.